if you're from the country. He's Lord if you're from the city. He's Lord if you live in a trailer house. He's Lord if you live in a big old mansion. He's even Lord if you live in a van down by the river. He's still Lord here this morning. He's Lord if you're black. He's Lord if you're white. He's Lord if you're brown or pink or blue with polka dots, even if that's the color of your hair, or even if you're wearing a polka dot tie. He's still Lord here this morning. How many know I'm saying? He's Lord if you live like it or not. He's Lord whether you like it or not. He's Lord whether you believe it or not. He is Lord, and that's what we celebrate in this place today. It's Easter Sunday. I'm excited. Somebody else ought to get excited this morning. We got something to celebrate here today. And over this last several weeks, we've been doing this series called Insta Dream. And what we've been doing is we've been talking about God's dream for your life. How many believe this morning that God has a dream for your life? God has a dream for your life. And what we've been doing is we've been investing in God's dream for your life. And we've been looking at this guy in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, a guy by the name of Joseph. Everybody say Joseph. Looking at this guy by the name of Joseph, and man, Joseph had a dream from God, and we've learned some things from Joseph's life. We've learned that dreams are never really instant, and they surely are not easy. In fact, we have learned that dreams are a process. Everybody say process. It's a process that God is taking us through, and that process has some struggles. It has some ups and some downs. It has some difficulties. In fact, the bigger the dream, the longer the process, and the more difficult the process is going to be. But there's good news, and the good news is God is working in the process. Even in your life, all the struggles and all the ups and downs and all of that, the process is part of the plan, and God is working to get you right where he wants you. Pretty good, right? Now, I know some of you are saying, okay, why in the world are we talking about Joseph? It's Easter. We're supposed to be talking about Jesus. I didn't come to hear no sermon about Joseph. I came to hear about Jesus. Well, if you'll give me just a second, if you'll just give me a little latitude, a little leeway here for just a minute, I believe that I can connect all of this stuff together. In fact, I believe there is some really incredible parallels that we can draw between this guy we've been studying, the guy by the name of Joseph, and between Jesus. Two incredibly powerful stories, and I believe that God wants to say some things to us this morning through these amazing stories. In fact, as I was studying, I was just kind of kind of drawing the parallels between the two. The study of, of Joseph, a man that God had given a dream, and Joseph began to tell people about his dream. But when he began to tell people about what God had said to him, just like so many times, people didn't like hearing what God was saying. And his own brothers betrayed him, beat him up. In fact, his brother, a guy named Judah, sold him into slavery after throwing him into a pit, sold him for 20 pieces of silver into slavery. But God raised Joseph up out of that pit and out of the slavery, and God took him to a place of leadership where he was second in command of all of Egypt and thousands, maybe even millions of lives 
lives were saved because of Joseph's life. Pretty cool, right? And you parallel that to the life of Jesus, a man who was sent by God, the very son of God, who came down to this earth and he had a dream. He had a vision, a purpose from God. But when he began to share that purpose with other people, they didn't like hearing it. Just as so many times people don't like hearing what God has to say. And the people that he loved the most, they betrayed him. They beat him up. In fact, a guy named Judah, uh, Judas sold him for 30 pieces of silver. They beat him. They placed him on a cross. They put his body in a borrowed tomb. But we know the story. Three days later, God raised him up out of that tomb and he became the savior of all mankind. Pretty cool stuff, right? And as we talk about this guy this guy named Joseph, and we follow his story all the way to the very end of the story, 28 years after his brothers beat him up and threw him into that pit, we find this man, Joseph, standing in front of those very same brothers. And now the tables are turned. In fact, now it's Joseph that has all of the power in his hand. And Joseph would face one final test in the dream that God had given him for his life. What would he do? As those who had beat him up, those who had betrayed him, those who had thrown him into that pit, those who had sold him into slavery, stand before him and all the power is in his hands. What? would he do? I don't know about Joseph, but I know what I would have done. I know that as I stood there in front of those that had beaten me up, those had hurt me, I probably would have said, you know what, what you did to me, what goes around comes around. How many know what I'm talking about? I probably would have said, you beat me up, let me get some guys in here to beat you up. You threw me into a pit. Let me get some guys in here to throw you into a pit. You put me in prison. Let me put you in prison. I have the power over you right now. How many would have done something like that, right? But that's not at all what Joseph did. In fact, Joseph faced his brothers. And what did Joseph do? Joseph forgave. Everybody say forgive. In fact, this is the first place we see in the Bible, we see this word forgive right here in this story. And this word forgive in the Hebrew actually means to bear up or to lift up. And I think about that word and I think about what, Jesus, or what Joseph did. And when I think about Joseph and his story and how he forgave his brothers, when I think about that word forgiveness, that means to bear up, I can't help but think about that's what Christ did for us. He bore our sins upon himself. Christ was uh, was betrayed by those closest to him. He was taken to a cross, beaten within inches of his life. And there he hangs upon that cross. And as he hangs upon that cross, what does he do? He prays. What does he pray? That famous prayer we may have heard so many times in Luke chapter 23 and verse 34. What does he pray? Father, what? Forgive them. I don't know about you, but if that was me, I might have been praying for him, but that wouldn't have been what I'd have been praying. How many know what I'm talking about? 
In fact, I might have been praying something a little bit more like the country song, I'll Pray For You. Anybody ever heard that song before? It, it, goes, it goes like this. It says, I haven't been to church since I don't remember when. Things were going great until they fell apart again. So I listened to the preacher as he told me what to do. He said, you can't go around hating others who have done wrong to you. Sometimes we get angry, but we must not condemn. Let the good Lord do his job and you just pray for them. So I'll pray for you. I pray your brakes go out when you're running down a hill. I pray a flower pot falls on the windowsill and knocks you in the head like I'd like to. I'll pray for you. I pray your birthday comes and nobody calls. I pray you're flying high when the engine stalls. I'll pray all, the, all your dreams never come, fruit, come true. Just remember wherever you are, near or far, in your house or in your car, wherever you are, honey, I'll pray for you. How many would have prayed that kind of prayer? But that's not the prayer that Jesus prays. Jesus prays this prayer. Forgive them. You know, on that day, something changed. You know, in, in that time, the people of that time would have not understood why Jesus prayed this prayer. You see, in that time, there was a law that was called an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. And basically what that meant was when someone wrongs you, when someone offends you, when someone hurts you, you have the right to get them back. You have the right to have revenge on whatever someone else did for you. If they take your eye, you take their eye. If they knock out your tooth, you take out their tooth. And on that day, everything changed. In fact, that's what Easter is all about. As Jesus hung upon that cross, he ushered in a new time and a new season. It went from being the time of the law to being an age of grace. They didn't deserve it. We don't deserve it, but God gave it to us anyway. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. That's what Joseph did for his brothers. That's what Jesus did for us, and that's what God has called every single one of us to do as well. I want to talk about this for just a few moments this morning. I want to talk about this idea of mercy. I want to talk about this idea of offering forgiveness to others. And as I studied about this, I started thinking, you know, what is the power that unforgiveness has on our lives? So many, so many walk through life holding a grudge against someone who has hurt them. Some, so many walk through life holding on to past offenses and past Hurts and I, and I see the powerful effect that it has on so many of our lives. And I just begin to study through Scripture. And I just begin to look at this idea of holding on to unforgiveness, to bitterness, to resentment, to anger towards others. And I just begin to study through the Scripture to see what does the Scripture say is the effect of unforgiveness on our lives. I just want to just show you a couple of things. If you have your notes, you can take these down uh, this morning. You can also follow along along in your LifeGate app this morning. I just want to I want to see five things that unforgiveness will do in our life. And we're going to we're going to hit these quick. I know some of you're like, "Oh Lord, Ethel, he said five things. We're going to be here all day." No, no, no. We're going to do it quick. But let me just show you a couple of things, a couple of things about what unforgiveness will do in your life. Are you ready? The first one is that when we when we hold on to unforgiveness, here's what happens. Our prayers are hindered. 
In fact, that's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew or Mark chapter 11 and verse 24. Look what he says. He says, I tell you, you can pray for anything, and if you believe, you will receive it, and it will be yours. How many would like to have that kind of prayer life, right? Like, I can just pray for whatever I want, and whenever I pray, if I just believe it, I will receive it. How many have found that sometimes you pray for stuff, and it doesn't actually happen like that? And you say, why is my prayer not being answered? Well, Jesus said in the very next verse, in verse number 25, he says, but. Everybody say, but. Let me know when there's a but in there. You got to be pretty careful at what's coming up next, right? He says, but when you pray, first forgive anyone you are holding a grudge against so that, what? So that your Father in heaven will forgive your sins as well. Here's what Jesus was saying. Jesus was saying sometimes our prayers are not answered because we're holding on to unforgiveness for other, to other people. Sometimes we hold on to this grudge. And the truth is our relationships with others will also affect our relationship with God. And the scripture is very, very clear that I cannot proclaim that I love God while I hate my brother. And I cannot hold on to a grudge. I cannot hold on to resentment or anger or unforgiveness against an offense that someone else has done towards me and expect God to answer my prayers. In fact, in Matthew 5 and verse 25, uh, 23, Jesus says it like this. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and suddenly remember that someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice there at the altar. Go and be reconciled. Everybody say reconciled. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Here's what Jesus said. He says, this is so important that when you are praying, that if you remember you're holding something against somebody else, stop praying right then. Go and reconcile. Make it right with them. Because when you have that unforgiveness in your heart, it is hindering your connection to God. It is hindering your prayer life. Some of you even here today, even before we pray at the end of this service, you need, to, you need to let go of some unforgiveness. Maybe you even need to send a text message or write a note or make a phone call and make some relationships right so that your relationship with God and your prayers will not be hindered. Number two, here's what happens as we hold on to unforgiveness. Our vision is blurred. Everybody say vision. Look what the scripture says in 1 John 2 and verse uh, verse 10. It says, anyone who loves a fellow believer is living in the light and does not cause others to stumble. But anyone who hates a fellow believer is still living and walking in darkness. Such a person does not know the way to go having been blinded. Everybody say blinded. Having been blinded by the darkness. See, here's what happens when we hold on to unforgiveness in our hearts. We become blinded by it. Have you ever known anybody like this? That that, that all they can see is the hurt of their past. All they can think about is something that somebody has done. In fact, you sit down with them and you're only sitting down with them for like five minutes and already they're talking about what somebody did or what somebody said or how somebody offended them or something that they don't like about somebody else. Anybody know anybody like this? Don't point at them if they're in the room this morning. But 
You know what I'm talking about? And I mean, it could be stuff that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago. And they just continually are dredging it up over and over. It's like that husband that said about his wife, every time we get in an argument, she gets completely historical. And his friend said, historical, don't you mean hysterical? Well, that too, but no, she gets historical. She brings up everything I ever did in the past. And here's how so many people live their lives. They have no vision for their future because they are bound by the unforgiveness and the hurt of their past. And we can't see the vision and the dream and the purpose that God has for our lives that he has called us to live because we are so anchored down to the hurt of our past. And the Bible says that we've got to let go of that unforgiveness so that we can see clearly the path that God has for our lives. Our prayers are hindered. Our vision is blurred. Number three, our relationships are poisoned. How many know that unforgiveness is a poison? It will poison everything that it comes in contact with. In fact, in Hebrews, the Hebrew writer writes in Hebrews 12 and verse 15, it says, look after each other so that none of you fails to receive the grace of God. Watch out that no poisonous root of what? Of bitterness grows up to trouble you and corrupt many. How many know that this is how, this is how bitterness gets started? It starts with just a little seed. Somebody did something. Somebody said something. Somebody offended me. Somebody disappointed me. Something didn't happen the way that I wanted it to happen. And that seed begins to take, take place down in your heart. And if you're not careful, it will begin to take root down in the soil of your heart. And here's what happens is it doesn't stay just a seed, but as it takes root, it it begins to grow and that root begins to produce produce a tree and what happens that tree begins to produce a fruit and what is that fruit the bible says that fruit is poisonous and it starts with something little that just festers inside of me. And I decide, I got, I got to hang on to that. I can't let that go. I got to just kind of hold that over somebody else's head for a little while. I don't want to really let it go. And it begins to take root deep down inside. But it doesn't stay a little root. It begins to grow. And it begins to corrupt me. But it doesn't just corrupt me. It corrupts everybody else around me. And my marriage. And my family. And my friends. And everybody that I know are affected by this poison that's in my heart. I hold on to unforgiveness. My prayers are hindered. My vision is blurred. My relationships are poisoned. Number four, my soul is tortured. You know, in Matthew chapter 18, Jesus tells a parable. A parable that's called the parable of the unforgiving debtor. The parable goes like this, that there's a a very rich man who has a servant who owes him money, and it's a large sum of money. In fact, many scholars believe that the sum of money in our day would be close to a million dollars. And obviously, the sum of money is so large that he 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 can't repay his debt. And so 
the penalty for not repaying the debt is that he would be thrown into prison. And so the man has a family and he doesn't want to be thrown into prison. And so he comes to the, he comes to the rich man and he kneels down at his feet and he cries out, Please have mercy upon me. Please give me time. I'll do anything that you want me to do. If you would just give me time somehow to pay the debt, please don't put me into the prison. And the Bible says that the man that was owed the money had pity and had mercy upon the servant and he forgave the servant all of the debt. How many know that's a pretty big deal? And the servant leaves the master's presence and goes out into into his own life and finds another man who owes him some money. This time a much smaller amount of money. Many scholars say somewhere around a hundred dollars. He finds the man and the Bible says that he grabs the man by the throat and demands that the man pay up the hundred dollars that he owes. Otherwise, he would be thrown into prison. You can imagine how the master must have felt about this. In fact, we see it in Matthew chapter 18 and verse 32. It says, And then the king called to the man who had been forgiven and said, You evil servant, I forgave you that tremendous debt because you pleaded with me. Shouldn't you have mercy on your fellow servant just as I have had mercy on you? Then the angry king sent the man to prison to be tortured until he paid the entire debt. Jesus gives us this story, this parable to illustrate to us the effect that unforgiveness has upon our life. The truth is here this morning, there is no more miserable place to be and no more miserable life to live than to live with unforgiveness and bitterness in your heart. And many of you may be even sitting in this room today and on the outside you're all dressed up in your nice Easter clothes and everything looks good. But deep down inside you're miserable. Your soul is tortured. You're holding on to something that is poisoning your heart, that is torturing your life. And you think, I can't let it go because they did that to me. i got to make them pay for what they did. But the truth is you're not making them pay. You're just making yourself miserable. In fact, it's like what somebody said, bitterness is like drinking poison and then waiting on the other person to die. The truth is, the longer we hold on, the more it corrupts us and the more miserable we become. Unforgiveness, man, it has a major effect on our life. Our prayers are hindered, our vision is blurred, our relationships are poisoned, our souls are tortured. But I think most importantly, number five is this, our sins are not forgiven. The truth is today, if we don't forgive others, we ourselves can't be forgiven. In fact, Jesus said it like this in Matthew 6 and verse 14. I believe the scariest scripture in all of the Bible. Look what he says. He says, for if you forgive other men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But look what he says. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not. Everybody say, will not. Will not forgive you your sins. It doesn't get much more straightforward than that. If we don't forgive others, God cannot, God will not forgive us. You see, when we don't forgive, we actually nullify the work that Christ did upon the cross. This morning, I I don't want to be a person who 
lives this kind of life. I, I don't want my relationship with God and my prayers to be hindered. I, I, I don't want my relationships to be poisoned. I don't want my vision to be blurred. I don't want to live in, in misery and torture. And most of all, I want God to forgive me of my sins. So maybe this morning you say, all right, pastor, I recognize some areas of unforgiveness and some areas of resentment, some areas where I need to, as Christ did and as Joseph did for his brothers, where I need to forgive. So pastor, how in the world do I learn to live in this kind of forgiveness that has been offered to me today? Well, I just want you to see a couple of things here this morning, just real quickly. The first one is this. We're going to refuse to focus on yourself. How many know that sometimes we can be pretty self-centered? Isn't that true? And here's what happens in unforgiveness is that when we, when we don't forgive, here's what we're doing. We're focusing on ourselves, how I was hurt, my pain, how I felt about it. And, and when we look at Joseph's story, here's what we, we, we don't see. We don't see Joseph focusing on himself. We don't, we don't see him focusing on what his brothers did to him and how it made him feel and his struggle and his pain and all of the years of the things that he went through. No, we see, we see Joseph takes the focus off of himself and Joseph puts the focus on his brothers and on other people. In fact, we see it in Genesis 45 and verse 4. It says, then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. And when they had done so, he said, I am your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now look as he puts the focus on them. And now don't be distressed and don't be angry with yourselves. How many know this is showing mercy to his brothers? And how does he show that mercy? He says, because it was to save lives that God sent you or sent me here ahead of you. What an incredible incredible perspective that Joseph has. Instead of focusing on his own pain, instead of focusing on how he felt and what somebody else did to him, instead he offered mercy to his brothers. How? Because he was focused on God's purpose in it all. He says, God sent me ahead of you so that all of these people in Egypt could be saved from the famine that would come. He removed the focus from himself and put the focus on others. Isn't that what Christ did as he hung upon that cross? As he hung there, he wasn't thinking about his pain. He wasn't thinking about his agony. He wasn't thinking about his suffering. He was thinking about others. In fact, in Romans 5 and verse 3, it says, Christ did not indulge his own feelings. As Scripture says, the insults of those who insulted you fall upon me. As he hung there, he spoke those words, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. What was he doing? He was putting himself in their shoes. He was showing them mercy. He was offering forgiveness as he took the focus away from himself and placed the focus upon others. He wasn't focused on his need for vindication, but rather on our greatest need for forgiveness. Scripture tells us in Philippians that this is the kind of attitude that God has called us to have. In fact, in Philippians 2 and verse 3, it says, Don't be selfish. 
Don't try to impress others, but be humble. Look at this. Thinking of others better than yourselves. Don't look out only for your own interests, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being when he appeared. In human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death upon a cross. But, Pastor, you don't understand. You don't know what they did to me. I have a right to be angry about what they did. And yes, you may have that right today. Christ had the right to be angry, Joseph had the right to be angry. But Jesus gave up his rights. As the Son of God and came to this earth and laid himself down so that we might receive forgiveness. And the scripture says that that's the same attitude that God has called us to have. I'm going to refuse to focus on myself. Number two, I'm going to release my hurts to God. Here's the truth today. Forgiveness doesn't come naturally. In fact, forgiveness goes against everything that we are taught in our culture today. It goes against our human nature. It's not natural. In fact, uh, forgiveness only comes through the supernatural, through God doing a work in our heart. And how did Christ forgive others? Here's how he did it. He prayed for them. Let me just give you a little piece of advice here today. If you want to learn how to forgive, here's the best way to do it. Start praying for the person that hurts you. How many know it's hard to stay mad at somebody that you pray for on a regular basis? It's hard. It's hard to hold a grudge against someone that you're praying that God will bless. And the truth is, as you pray for others, you know what? It may or may not change them, but it will always change you. And that's what it's really all about. You see, it's a supernatural work. After the service last night, I had someone ask me. They was telling me about some stuff that happened in their life. And they said, said, how can I forgive that? They did this. They did this. They did this. They did this. How can I forgive that? And I just had to look at them and tell them, you can't. The only way that it's going to happen is if God does a supernatural work of grace and change in your heart. And it just begins by just praying for the other person. In fact, in Luke 6 and 27, Jesus says, But you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. If anyone slaps you on the cheek, turn the other cheek also. If anyone takes your coat, do not withhold your shirt from them as well. Give give everyone who asks you and anyone who takes what belongs to you, do not demand it back. Do to others what you would have them do to you. If you love those who love you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who are good to you, what credit is that to you? Even sinners do that. And if you lend to those whom you expect repayment, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners expecting to be repaid in full, but love your enemies, do good to them, and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then look what happens. Then your reward will be great, or you will be children of the Most High God. How do I forgive? I have to refuse to focus on myself. I have to release that hurt 
and that pain and that anger to God. Most importantly, this morning, I have to remember how God has forgiven me. Let me just speak gently here for just a moment. Because I know that some of you have experienced hurt and pain. You've experienced betrayal in ways that maybe I could never even understand. In fact, some of you may be even saying, oh yeah, that's good for you, you little preacher up there with your nice little perfect preacher life, your nice little perfect preacher family with your nice little polka dot tie. How can you ever understand what I'm going through or what has happened to me? And the truth is, I haven't walked in your shoes. I can't understand. I don't know, but I do know that I can understand the pain of betrayal, of disappointment, of hurt. And maybe there are some of you that are here this morning that have been betrayed and been hurt in such ways that, I mean, it just, it goes beyond understanding. Maybe it's the hurt of a spouse that betrayed you, cheated on you maybe multiple times, and you think, how in the world could I ever forgive something like that? Maybe it was a a mom or a dad who left you when you were just, when you were just little, and they abandoned you, and you think, how could I ever forgive them for what they have done? Maybe, I mean, unfortunately, maybe it's even circumstances of abuse where someone who should have protected you and loved you and been there for you took advantage of you or abused you, and it's tragic, and I don't, I don't pretend at all to understand how you may feel. But I do know this, forgiveness, it won't be easy. But it's doable. It's only doable through the grace and the love of Jesus Christ. In fact, that's what Easter is really all about here today. The bottom line of this whole thing today, the bottom line of Easter is that Christ's love conquers any offense. That no matter how deep the pain and no matter how how wide the struggle that you may have faced in your life, Christ's love has conquered it all. Christ's love, because he came to this earth and he lived a sinless life and he went to that cross and he experienced all the hurt and all of the pain, he took the sins of the world upon his shoulders. He died that death and was placed in that tomb but on that third day he was risen his death is no longer death now where is your sting now there is victory through Christ and it's greater than any sin it's greater than any shame it's greater than any struggle or any pain or any offense it can conquer anger it can conquer bitterness it can conquer resentment it can conquer anything that is holding you back And here's the good news today is that Christ came and he died on that cross and he rose again today so that no matter what you face today, you can have victory. He did all of that so that he could forgive us. So that we in turn could forgive others. And not just so the other person can go free. But so that you can be free. See I like what somebody said. They said forgiveness is really releasing a prisoner to find out later that that prisoner was you. Some of you are being held back 
from the purpose and the dream that God has for your life because you're holding on to something that happened five years ago, 10 years ago, 20 years ago, and you just can't seem to get past it. As you remember what Christ did for you on that cross, as you remember what His resurrection means, that's where true forgiveness can flow from. In fact, that's what Paul said in Colossians 3 and 13. Look what he says. He says, bear with one another and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. And then here he says how to do it. Forgive how? As the Lord has forgiven you. Have you been forgiven today? Do you have a few sins in your life? Have you offended others? Have you hurt others? Are you guilty today of sinning against God? Yes, every single one of us. And has God offered that forgiveness to us? And when He forgives, does He forgive freely, never to bring it up again? That's how Paul says we are to forgive others. Here's the deal here this morning. There are two types of people in this room today. There are those of you that need to receive forgiveness. And there are others of you that you need to give forgiveness. And the good news is today, both of those, both of those things can be taken care of right here and right now. I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me all over this room and close your eyes today. Maybe you're here this morning and maybe you would say, you know, Pastor, I know I'm not right with God. I know I'm the one you're talking about. I'm the one that needs to receive forgiveness from God today. I've sinned. I've fallen short. I've been living my own way, doing my own thing. You see, here's the truth is that every single one of us, we are those brothers. We are Joseph's brothers. And we stand before God today guilty. It's us. It's our sin. It's our guilt that nailed Jesus to the cross on that day. The good news is today that there is forgiveness that is being offered to us just as Jesus spoke as He hung upon that cross. Father, forgive them. He is speaking those same words to you and me today. The Scripture says in Romans 4 and verse 25, it says God will also count us as righteous if we will just believe in Him. The one who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead, He was handed over to die because of our sins, but He was raised to life to make us right with God. And the good news is today, yes, it was our sin that hung Him to that cross, but He he died on that cross and was raised again so that we could be right with God. And the only prerequisite today is that we would believe in Him. This morning, if you you are not right with God, here's all you got to do is believe in Him. The Scripture says in Romans 8, 9, and 10, if we will believe in our heart and confess with our mouth that Christ was raised from the dead, then we will be saved. I'm here to tell you today, if you are in need of forgiveness, if you know that you're not right with God, you can be made right with God through Christ's death and resurrection today. And all you have to do is believe in Him. All you have to do is call upon Him today.